Well, I've been greatly blessed and encouraged by the music this morning, and I appreciate so much your pastor, Pastor Doug, uh, inviting me to come and share with you today. And so let me talk to you for just a moment about something that's happening here tonight. I lead a national initiative entitled, Who's Your One? Really trying to uh, remind believers that there was a day in uh, the life of our churches that the main thing was the main thing, and that is making the gospel known to our friends, our relatives, our work associates, and our neighbors. Just this week, an article came out, national article, saying that unbelievers know some friends that are believers, and they would love to have a conversation, but most of them remain silent. I have preached that and believed it for years, that people are more desirous to hear than sometimes we are desirous to tell. Research shows that 85% of you that are here this morning that know Jesus are here because somebody cared enough to invite you or bring you. And it only stands to reason that if someone did that for me and changed where I'm going to spend eternity, it just seems like. I'd want to do that for them. So tonight, I'm bringing a message. I really believe a, a, a message of inspiration and exposition of biblical text supported by videos of how Christ has changed family members and friends through my personal witness. So I'll talk more about it even in the sermon. So I encourage you to be here. Tomorrow morning, if any way at all, if you're free, 7.30 to 8.30, we're providing a free breakfast. And then at 8.30, uh, we have some gifts we'd like to give you. And then you're going to have the opportunity to hear from your pastor is going to be sharing about his passion for evangelism and how God has used him even here in this wonderful church. Then there's a young lady that travels with us that's on my team by the name of Catherine Renfro. She does as good a job as sharing how she turns everyday ordinary conversation into gospel conversation. And then I have a friend that's flying in this afternoon from Phoenix, Arizona. He's at the North Phoenix Baptist Church. He's Latino. His uh, name is Noe Garcia. Noe preaches to about as many college students on Sunday morning is any Southern Baptist church in the United States. Hundreds, 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 hundreds. And this is incredible, even the number that come here, to say the least. And he is in a much larger, larger city. So, Pastor, hats off how God is using you. And then there is a uh, friend of mine named Joel Sutherland. Somebody uh, texted me yesterday, and they said, hey, we're in Dalton, Georgia. He's a former president of one of our seminaries at Southwestern. And he said, hey, if you were up here, what church would you go to? I said, Google Peavine Baptist Church. What a name, right? Peavine Baptist Church. And it's a church you literally have to hunt for, but it is absolutely remarkable, the people that are experiencing life change there. And Joel will share with us tomorrow. So any or all that you can come to, I want to encourage you to come. If you have a copy of God's Word, pull it up in your phone or wherever, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Acts, the 8th chapter, verse 
26. I want to speak for a few minutes this morning on the subject, wherever he leads. I just pose a question. When you read the scriptures, the Bible makes it clear, especially in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, that God speaks through his word. And the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, speaks to us. Isaiah in the Old Testament was seeking direction, and here's what he said. I heard a voice behind me saying, walk in this way. My favorite book in the Bible is the book of James. I've written uh, a large commentary of sermonizing on that book. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. God will give it liberty, liberally, and listen to how it translates. And he will not scold you for asking. And then he gives the greatest commentary in the Bible on wisdom in James 3 and verse 17. Here's a question. Are you ever amazed at what you can't remember? Are you ever amazed at what you can't forget? Uh, when I was writing this message, my mind went back to Lakeland, Florida, uh, over 25 years ago, I was traveling with my student choir. They were bringing the special music, and then I would bring the message. On a particular night, I remember a lot of details about that night. I remember Brad was the soloist. I know that Becky sang with him. I know that later they would be married. I want to be honest, I would know that later it would end in divorce. I would have to tell you that Brad remained close to me, much, much younger than me, in his 40s. We buried him just a couple of months ago. But the song he sang that night, I can remember the emotion that rose in my heart because I, I love music. But I like to remind music people that you wouldn't have anything to sing if it weren't for the Bible. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's in Psalm chapter 33 that the Bible teaches that the Word generates worship. And so when you put these beautiful lyrics to the great words we heard this morning, man, it causes our hearts to celebrate. Listen to just verse 1 lyrics of what captured my heart. Lily of the valley, let your sweet aroma fill my life. Rose of Sharon, show me how to grow in beauty in God's sight. Fairest of 10,000, make me a reflection of your light. Daystar, shine down on me. Let your love shine through me in the night. Lead me, Lord, I'll follow anywhere. You open up the door. Let your word speak to me. Show me what I've never seen before. Lord, I, I want to be your witness. You can take what's wrong and make it right. Day star, shine down on me. Let your love shine through me in the night. Acts 8, 26 it's the story about a servant. 
He's in a city doing a great work. So you got to be careful. Sometimes you can say, God couldn't be calling me away because things are so good where I am. Well, if you want to know the story, you go back up to verses 1 through 8, and you'll read this. Philip, the servant of God, was preaching like a citywide crusade. The Bible says in verse 8, there is great rejoicing in the entire city. Many people are coming to faith in Christ. And yet the Spirit of God says this in verse 26. Philip, arise and go to Gaza, which is desert. Question, why in the heaven would God call a person to leave a great campaign to go to desert? He didn't even tell him what to do there. Here's one thing we can't deny. When God calls, that is a sovereign call. He's in charge. The question is not exactly what am I going to do? Wrong question. Question is really more along these lines. Yes or no? Obey or disobey? And so if you look at verse 27, look what it says. And he arose and went. That simple compliance to a sovereign call. The best place you will ever be is where God calls you to be. And you, you can't see it always. When he got there, the Bible says that he saw a man in a chariot and he would be equivalent to the secretary treasurer of the cabinet of the president of the United States. But instead, he was serving a queen in Ethiopia. The Bible says that, again, the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, join him. See, when you obey God, it means you put your yes on the table. And then once you obey, then God will show you the next step. Here's a good way to say it. God will give you light. If you will obey the light, God will increase the light. But if God gives you light and you don't obey, you can remain in darkness most of your life as it pertains to the will of God. And you never know. Look at me. You never know why you were here in the first place. He said, go join yourself to that chariot. And when he got there, the man was reading the Bible. And here's what it says about the man. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. So look at this. There is a simple void in every person's life that only Jesus Christ can fill. A God-sized void. He had, he had traveled hundreds of miles, one purpose, to worship. Undoubtedly, when he left church, the need had not been met. So what is he doing? And by the way, he'd have to be pretty wealthy. He's got his only own manuscript of the Bible, or especially Isaiah 53. And he was reading a text that says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He, he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And who shall declare his generation? It's in that context that, listen to this question. I love this question. Philip goes up to this very distinguished individual and says, uh, excuse me, do you understand what you're reading? And his response, and this is where we are in America, 
how can I except somebody help me? You, you know what you are today? You're a helper to keep somebody out of hell. Can somebody say amen? I'm serious. You, you've, got, you've got family just like me that doesn't know him. You have friends at school and at work that don't know him. You have neighbors that don't know him. Have you ever thought for one moment that God supernaturally planted you where you are so they would have the gospel to be given to them? <laughs> I had cancer 12 years ago. It, it kind of set my wife back, set my wife back more than it did me. I, after going through all the tests, I just thought uh, from every indicator today, and then when you go in for your exam, and he said, instead of meeting the exam room today, uh, let's go to my personal office. I'm thinking, hello. And so he shares the news with me. And is it a shock? Certainly when you hear the big C word, it's a shock. You know, you wonder if this is it, how much longer. And it just makes you think about what, oh, oh, this is good, what you should be thinking about anyway, okay? And just for the record's sake, the last funeral I did, it made national news. He was a quarterback at Roswell High. He was only 18 years old. Seven schools were already talking to him. But Doug, finally, he really wanted to hear from the Florida Gators. That was his dream. He wanted to play ball there. Uh, they had invited him to come down to look. Uh, he's a right-hander, a big quarterback. One thing he was known for is not only could he throw the ball, the dude could run, but he was hit one day on his left arm, no problem, simple surgery. How many of you know that sometimes simple surgery is not always simple surgery? Long story short, I won't go into detail, three days later he was dead. They never did find out what was wrong with him for whatever reason. The, the family just said, we want him cremated, and so which means there's going to be no further testing to find out what had happened. But long story short, I had influenced that family through the years, so I did the funeral. It was on CNN. It was on Fox News. They were all talking about it. So whether you're 18 or 81, we're all just one heartbeat from eternity. Just one. And the Bible says that he got up in there and he said, he, listen to what it says in the Bible. You can see it right there. It says he opened his mouth and talked to him about Jesus. And so to going down, evidently this old boy says, man, that's it. <laughs> this is it. So he gets there and he says, so here is water. And by the way, let me just go ahead and translate the word that's used in the text. Uh, here's the best way to say it. Here is a big mud puddle. It's called a wadi, a W-A-D-I in the Greek text. Uh, didn't rain in the desert. The water came down through the ravines from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was always up high. And many times you've got to be careful on a bus. There's days, there's warning when you're in the southern part of Israel that you've got to be careful. There's flash floods and literally push a bus off the road. So undoubtedly that it, the water had really accumulated. And here's what the brilliant man says, very distinguished individual. See, here is water. What keeps me from being baptized? And I love this. Listen to this. Nothing if you believe with all your heart. Listen to his confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he went down in the water and he baptized him. I was seven, seven. My father came to my room. You never forget this. It makes an impression on you. Gave me a little kiss on my forehead. 
spoke to my three brothers. I'm sure he went in the other room and spoke to my two sisters. They're six kids. I'm next to the youngest. And he says, I'm going to be moving away. I don't know what that means at seven, but I'll be back to see you regularly. But evidently he didn't understand the word regularly because I didn't see him again for 13 years. So, so mom, in order to take care of us, because dad went and had another uh, lady in another state and had three more children, and then divorced her and another wife. Anyway, lots of distance, so not supporting us. So my mom went to work in a factory. It's called Century Mills in Wilmington, North Carolina, and that's where she worked in the daytime. She was a fabulous cook, a lot like a bunch of your moms. She would come home, cook dinner for the six kids. Then she would grab her pocketbook. Seemed like her pocketbook was as big as my suitcase. And she would make her way down Front Street in Wilmington, North Carolina, to the right white front grill, white front grill. And there she waited tables. Hey, just a bit of information. I tip good. Always, regardless of service. It, it, I've been impacted by my mom. I wonder, I wonder if my mom ever gave bad service. M maybe the reason she gave bad service, she weren't really there. Her mind was at home with six kids and their needs, and we stayed in and out of trouble. So here's what I wrote. I tip now predicated not on service rendered, but on Savior and His influence in my life. Matter of fact, I... Uh, if, if when I go to a restaurant, I normally say, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to pray with my wife over the food. Anything we can pray for you about? You get some interesting answers. I did that the other day. I was at Papa Do's. Can I get a witness? And, and when I, I said that, and um, the lady busted out in tears and ran from the table. And my wife looked at me, and you can't make this up. Here's what she said. How's that working for you? few minutes later, the lady shows back up at the table. <clears throat> she said, I, I'd like to apologize for how I responded. I said, oh, no, no, no ma'am, no, you, you don't owe me an apology. She said, well, I'd just like to tell you what happened. She said, today makes one year since I lost the best friend I've ever had in life. I said, I'm so very sorry. She said, and, and I'm, I was just sad because Nobody knows it. Nobody has a way of knowing it. I, I, I just, I've just felt so empty all day. And sir, I've got to be honest with you. When you ask if you could pray for me, I felt that was God's way of maybe sending you here just to remind me that he really knows what I'm going through today. And so she says, I've got a question for you. You had no way of knowing that. Sir, are you an angel? My wife said, absolutely not. I'm not even <laughs> close. No way. I mean, she just lay, laid it out there. When I was 16 years old, and I'm not proud of this, I quit school. Hey, this is pretty cool. I quit school because it was my turn to give a public book report. And I was so shy and, and timid in those days. And so I quit. So I started hanging out at a local pool room billiard hall. And, and finally the guy just said, you know, you're 16 years old, you hang out all the time, you, you want a job? And so I started racking balls. Well, th there was nobody there early in the morning, so you know what I did? I'd play pool, sometimes three, five hours a day. Obvious question, did you get good? Oh yeah, 
They were real good. I hustled pool for four years, made a living. I, I, I was playing in second string of national straight pool tournaments. No, 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 I, 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 I was good. Oh, still am. <laughs> when I was 20 years old, had you met me, I had one aspiration in life. I wanted to be a professional pool player. I thought, how cool would this be? A game that you already love, and they're going to pay me to play it. And then it all got messed up. Um, a carpenter by the name of N.W. Pridgen started every time he saw me, why don't you get your pretty little wife and invite her to come to church with you and join me at Longleaf Baptist? And I was just really not in the church, and I would always, hey, we're, we will. And they said, well, do you go anywhere? And I said, oh, yeah, we go to Myrtle Grove Presbyterian. You know what that meant? I went there one time in my life on Christmas Eve. That's where I go. He kept on, kept on. So one day my wife started saying, you know, honey, I wish you would go to church with me. And this just became my, my answer. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Longleaf because Mr. Pridgen asked me every time I see him. She said, I'll go anywhere. We went. I'd never owned a Bible in my life, never been in a Sunday school class, didn't know what a revival was. And I'm just sitting there listening. And something happened. And the Bible says this will happen. And I didn't know it then. I couldn't have explained this to you today. It happened. But the Bible says that when the gospel, this is so good, when the gospel is preached, the gospel never, this is good, good night, the gospel never travels alone. Did you hear what I just said? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, anytime you open that Bible and share it with somebody else, there's a companion called the Holy Spirit that goes with the gospel. That's why when I'm telling a friend what God did for me and I'm reading my Bible to him and he starts crying and you think, Johnny Hunt, you have that kind of effect on our lives? No, the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit of God does. So, th so the Spirit of God dealt with me. See, I used to go to church, and I would look across the aisles, and I'd try to find somebody that lived a hellacious life like me, so I'd feel better about it. Matter of fact, I even convinced myself that I didn't mind the fact that I was going to go to hell because everybody I knew was going to hell too. Everybody I knew lived just like me. So I thought, it ain't going to be bad. We'll all be there together. But that day God showed me who Jesus Christ was. And all I can tell you is, look at me, God raised the blinds. He took the blinders off so I could see who he was and how much he loved me and cared for me. But I was, I was too afraid and too ashamed to respond. So listen to what the preacher did. He's closing the service out. He said, hey, there's a young man here. God's dealing with him. Let's pray God bring him back tonight and save him. I was that man. I got in the car and I had a GTO. It was a good race car and muscle car. And so what we normally do is go to Holly Ridge Drag Strip outside of Wilmington. And I raced every Sunday afternoon. That day I headed home instead of the racetrack. My wife said, we're not going to the racetrack. I said, no. She said, why not? I said, preacher was talking about me. Somebody says, oh, yeah, some of you men think right now. Oh, yeah, he had your number, didn't he? Would you hear me for just a moment? God does not have your number, ladies and gentlemen. God knows your name. He will call you by name. Everybody he saved in the New Testament. Nicodemus, come down. Saul of Tarsus. So I said, um, hey, we men struggle. See if, see if I can talk to the men for a moment. We sometimes entertain surrendering our life to Jesus, but let me tell you what our hang-up is. 
Man, I don't think I can live this life. Well, I'm here to encourage you. You can't. It's Christ in you to hope of glory. You can't live this life. But when you get saved, God the Holy Spirit comes into you. And listen to this. My father left, but I got a father now, and he said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And as one of my mentors said, your heart is not a hotel. He doesn't check in and check out. Well, so uh, I said, I'm going back to church tonight. And Janet, uh, this is crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. I said, I'm going back tonight, and I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. But, you know, if Jesus doesn't change my life, don't give me a hard time if I'm back at the Red Fox Saloon tomorrow night or I'm back gambling on the pool table. And here's what I needed. I needed, I need, I, <laughs> I needed to meet a life-changing Savior. Can you, are you with me? I needed, somebody, I needed somebody that was real that could change my life. And so I went back, and, and, and normally I sat in the back, but I knew I was going to respond, so I got near the front. Hey, I even got on the outside, about where you're sitting in the green shirt right there. That's you. He's looking to see what color his shirt is. It's, I, and it's probably not green. I'm colorblind. So, uh, but thanks for letting me use you. Don't hurt me. All right, so anyway, um, but I was shy, Remember? So the invitation is getting ready to start. So I whisper to my wife, hey, Janet, when Mr. Gibson gives the invitation, go forward and tell him I want to get saved. Response. Sometimes I ask a person if they're a Christian, they say, my daddy is a wonderful Christian. Good, he's going to heaven. There's no grandchildren in heaven. They're all sons and daughters of God. Nobody hitchhikes on somebody else's faith. There's no hobo religion. So that night I slipped out and made, let me just see if this makes sense. Listen carefully. That night I slipped out and made the single greatest decision of my life. Nothing's nothing's ever changed me. It changed the whole trajectory of my life. Pool room, I'm just grateful. God would take the, oh, and, and by the way, when he saved me that night, I, it was within a year I felt that I was supposed to do something in vocational ministry. I was not sure what it was. I wanted to be a student pastor. I was pretty confident it had nothing to do with music for obvious reasons. But I knew that a call to ministry was a call to prepare. It's only one problem. Remember, I'm a drop, high school dropout. No problem, go to Cape Fear Technical Institute there in Wilmington and study at night, get your GED, okay? So they told me I was ready. I studied for six or seven weeks, and I took the test. I just want to tell you this. 
make you feel comfortable. I failed. No problem. You can come back in six weeks. I did. Failed again. Six weeks. I went back. What a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) I finally passed. You say, why would you even tell that? I had a professor one time asked me, he said, well, why do you tell these things that sometimes make you look bad? Hey, let me tell you what's wrong in the church. You've forgotten where God found you. You forgot what it was like to be lost. You've gotten over getting saved. Maybe that's why there's no passion the longer you serve him. I don't want to ever forget where he found me and what he did with me and for me. Who would dream God would take me from a welfare government project, no father, this is good, I'm just going to, God be the glory, I'm taking a risk to even say this, I have the largest local church men's conference in the United States. How can a boy with no daddy in his life minister to more people's daddy than anybody else in the United States in a local church? Oh, oh, by the way, that needs some explanation because somebody could say, well, you were so gifted. Okay, so gifted, so intelligent, right? That's why it takes three times to pass the GED. No, maybe it's a reminder that God can use anybody. You see, Christianity is not predicated on what you bring to the table. Let me tell you what that is. That's called celebrity Christianity. Sometimes we feel like God needs a prop. Like, what what if Michael Jordan could get saved? Boy, God could really use him. Like, Jesus needs some help. See somebody prop him up, poor little old Jesus. Jesus doesn't need anybody. We need Jesus. Oh, the capacity to which God can use you is not predicated on what you bring to the table as a believer. It's what he places in you when you get saved. He gives you gifts. He gives you his spirit. And you can be used. And some of us have resources that we've never tapped into because God has sovereignly imputed and imparted those to us. And tonight I'm going to show you how coming out of the pool room, how did that influence my family? Let me ask you a question. Has it made any difference that you got saved? Hey, can I ask another question? If you were to die today, would you go to heaven empty-handed? Nobody, nobody, nobody's coming behind you and nobody's already there that you influenced to be there. Empty-handed. That's not evangelism. Where would you be if somebody had not brought you or told you? I'm going to give it to you quickly. Got to do it quickly. Here it is. I found that God uses three things in particular to save people. Three things. So if you've got a pencil, pen, lipstick, or mascara, you might want to write these three things down because you won't remember them. But if you write them in your Bible, you will. There's three things God wants to use. Number one, he uses the Word of God. I love my Bible. I didn't have one until after I got saved, and I, uh, I spend time in it every morning of my life. I, not for the sermon. Didn't study for the sermon this morning. I already had done that earlier. So I just I read my Bible this morning. I, I put stuff on social media every day of my life about what I read that morning. 
So then faith cometh by hearing, Romans 10, 17, and hearing by the word of God. Here's what it's really reminding us. You can't get saved without the gospel. Um, the Bible says that it's quick and alive. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The, worst, the word alive there is where we get our word for zoology. It's a Greek word called zoon, Z-O-O-N. It means that the Bible is animate with life. It means that as we begin to share the word of God, it takes on a life of its own. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 18 that we're born again by the word of his truth. So God used, so when I preach the word of God, I'll tell you what I believe. In the last service, several people just acknowledged with me that they had prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's between them and God, but it just it encouraged me. That, that's the work of the gospel. See, I understand what Charles Spurgeon understood. I can no more change a life than I can create a star, but Jesus can. Jesus can. Number two, he uses not just the Word of God, he uses the Spirit of God. John 16, 8 says that it's already said that he will not leave us orphans. Jesus is getting ready to send back to heaven after Pentecost. But he said, I will not leave you orphans. I will send God, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to do three things. He's going to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Sin, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Until a person realizes that they're a sinner and they're separated from God. That's why nobody will ever go to heaven predicated on their own goodness. There's none good, no, not one. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible says in uh, Psalm chapter 55 that God looked out of heaven to find if there was just one good person upon the earth. And he said he did not find one. Everybody needs Jesus. And then he said he convict us of sin. That means expose our need that we're sinners. And only he can do that. So I may say, well, I just don't see that. Well, God hadn't lifted the arrows yet. The word Torah, which speaks of the first ten books of the Old Testament, translates, translates the shooting of an arrow. I'm a Native American. I'm a Lumbee Indian. Uh, the Spaniards in 1515 married the Cherokee Indians in the eastern part of North Carolina, making me a half-breed. I've got one daughter that's blonde hair with hazel eyes, the Spaniard part, and then I've got one that's as dark as any African-American here. I'm 9% Angolia. The reason anybody could go to my church is I was one of them. You didn't get that, or it didn't mean you're listening to intently. Righteousness. Nobody, nobody can go to heaven without righteousness. Hey, did you know there's a story on the righteousness of God in the Bible? It's in parable form. He gave an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He said that there was this master that was going to put on a banquet, and he was going to invite everybody to come to the banquet. But in order to get in the banquet, you had to have a robe. You had to have a robe to get in. And every scholar I've ever read believes that robe is referring to the righteousness of God. And so everybody that came in, they're, they're celebrating with the Lord like they're in heaven. And they've all got their robes on but there's one guy that goes in without a robe now don't you think that if you're supposed to be in with a robe but you're going without a robe don't you think that you come up with some apologetics like when he comes to me and says uh why should i let you into my heaven and you just think well you just don't know how good i've been i know i never trusted jesus christ my lord and savior but let me just tell you about all the good things that i did but here's what it says it says that the master speaking of the lord jesus in that parable came to that man and said sir how did you come in here not having a robe and listen what the bible says please hear it please hear it he was speechless 
No one can say anything. That's why the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate means he's our attorney. He's going to speak on our behalf. A man heard me preach that one day, and when he did, he was a songwriter. He happens to be a family member now. It's who leads Winter Jam, if you've ever heard of it. That's family. Uh, and, and here's what happened. The song was entitled, This One's With Me. It became number one in America, and it was predicated on this. One day when you stand before God and the Father were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? You're speechless. You can't say a word, but Jesus will speak on your part because he's your acting attorney. He's your advocate. First John chapter 2, verse 2. And then Jesus will say, Father, this one's with me. That's why I died on Calvary. So we need righteousness. But then the Bible says, and he'll convict you of judgment to come. The Bible's disappointed on the man once to die and then to judgment. The Bible in John 3, 16 gives great hope. But verse 18 says this, he that believeth not is condemned already. It means you're already cut off from a relationship with God. It means if there's not a divine intervention where Jesus Christ captures you, convicts you, and saves you, that when you die, you go straight to hell. Somebody says, oh, you sound so harsh the way you said hell. Jesus preached hell twice as much as he preached heaven. The word hell is mentioned twice as many times in the Bible as heaven is. What is it? Because he preached on judgment. Time's out, but I'll just tell you this. I was invited when he was 90 years old, my wife and I, to spend an afternoon in Montreat, North Carolina, in the home of Billy Graham. We visited with him by ourselves. We had a wonderful conversation. We talked about a lot of things. He said something that made national media. I'm not the first one he had said it to, but he did tell me this because he had quit preaching at that time. He had just recently preached over in New York to a million people in a large park. Here's what he said. If I had it to do over again, I'd preach more on judgment. Wow. I would warn people. So, so, you know, the reason the gospel is good news because it's contrasted with bad news. So if you're not careful, you just want to say, just give them the good news. God loves you. Christ died for you. He sure did. But he also said that he that doesn't repent, the wrath of God will abide on him. The wrath of God. And see, by the way, Jesus Christ on the cross absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf so we could know Jesus. But then, then last of all, and here it is, <clears throat> he uses the Word of God, he uses the Spirit of God, but he wants to use you if you're a child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, so then we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? It means that we're just traveling through. It means this is not our home. What is an ambassador? If we send an ambassador to the Ukraine, they are there representing the United States. This is not their home, the United States is. When he says you're an ambassador, he could say, well, wait a minute, if I'm an ambassador here on earth, where am I from? Where are you going to spend eternity if you know Jesus? Heaven. You're his ambassador. And then he makes this statement. As though God, you see it in your Bible? As though God made his plea through us. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Let me translate it. As though God were begging you through us. 
I, I was witnessing to a man not long ago, and I gave him the gospel and invited him. I said, would you like to turn from your sins, put your faith in Jesus? Here's what he said to me. Hey, Pastor Johnny, I appreciate you sharing with me, but I got to be real honest with you. I believe when God is ready to save me, he'll let me know. I responded. He just did. <laughs> he just did. It's though God did ask you through us. So somebody says, what's this all about? I mean, you went in the church and you got saved. Oh, yeah. When you preach the gospel, we make a plea. Oh, this is interesting. I love to do research. The first invitation in the Bible, you'll never find an invitation in the Bible till you get to Genesis 7. Who gave it? Noah. What did he invite them to do? To come into the ark. What happened if they came into the ark? When the storm came and the storm was coming, it didn't touch them. And, and judgment's coming. And so when, oh, and by the way, the lost world is saying more about judgment right now, pastor, than the church is. Go to Pew Research. People are saying, would you preachers tell us about the end? There, there's a longing in people's heart, even with the pandemic and now with the war, war. And if they go one inch outside of the Ukraine, it becomes World War III nuclear. Could it be? though God did ask you through us. Listen, what did he ask you? Be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. On a regular basis, I've, uh, in my phone, I have my prayer journal. And on my prayer journal, there's people I pray for every day. Normally, they're like, hey, would you pray for my mom? It's not going to be long unless God touches her. She's in stage four. Let me ask you if this is a fair question. Hey, look, tell me about your mom. Is she a Christian? Let me give you the number one answer. I'm not sure, Pastor Johnny. I may be wrong, but I'm going to make a call on that. You know why you don't know? You've never asked. You can get a definitive answer. Do you know him? Have you ever received him or not? I mean, listen to this. You don't know me. So let's, let's ask Johnny Hunt a question. Hey, Pastor Johnny, first time you've been here to preach in the church, you came and did a big men's event a few years back. Uh, are you married? I, I don't know. <laughs> Here's what you'd probably say. Where'd they find him? <clears throat> oh, I have a ring. I've been wearing it, by the way. We celebrated 51 years. It's a long, it's a long time, yeah. So, so listen to this. Okay, if you knew what she had to put up with, you'd have clapped a lot harder than that for her, all right? I just looked at it again. I opened my Bible sitting there beside Pastor Doug a moment ago, and I opened my Bible to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And the Bible says God has given us the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And he said, and it's a guarantee of your inheritance in verse 14. How do you know you're a Christian? 1 John 5, 13. These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. You know what know means? Know. You know what it means in the Greek text? Experiential knowledge. I know. I was there. I, a, a, a pastor stood before us and, 
and pronounced us husband and wife. We exchanged the rings. We're in a covenant marriage. I know that I'm married. But I want to say something else to you. Just as much as I know I'm married, I know I'm saved. And by the way, how under heaven am I going to ever get confidence to tell somebody else how to be saved if I'm not even sure if I'm going? I close with this statement. Fold it up. Here it is. Close it up. I did his funeral. I bet you knew him, Freddie Gage. If you would have stated, if he left you with one statement, Pastor Johnny, what would it be? Here it is. So listen to this statement. It's the final statement. It's a big one. Johnny Hunt, you'll preach with more passion if you'll really believe that eternity is too long to be wrong. There's something you may not be sure of, but there's one thing you need to get sure of predicated on God's word and God's spirit is that you've surrendered your life to Jesus. He brings change. No change, no Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great church. Thank you for these uh, wonderful people, so many young men and women in this service. Uh, the future, the ones we'll pass the baton to. If Jesus tarries, it'll be their duty to go to the next generation with the gospel. Use them mightily. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Did you hear what I said a moment ago? Three things happens when you get saved. You ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you. And he said that if we call upon the name of the Lord, he said he would save us. He'll rescue us from our, our sinful life. And then some of you men in particular are thinking, I don't think that I can live this life. But remember, when you receive him, God the Holy Spirit comes into your life and promises to never leave you. When you do wrong, somebody out, outside don't need to tell you. There's one living in you that will remind you. And then when you get saved, you receive the gift of eternal life so that this life is over and it will be over. You know that you're spending eternity with Jesus. If you've never made the single greatest commitment of your life in the balcony downstairs, I'm going to encourage you right now to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. God knows your heart. Just pray. Ask him right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I cannot save myself. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and save me. I'm sorry for my sins. Have mercy on me. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to live the rest of my life for you. And Lord, thank you today for hearing my prayer and for saving me. Now, help me to never be ashamed of trusting you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. In a moment, the pastor's going to be here at the front. We're going to sing together. But if you say, Pastor Johnny, and I'm not going to come to you, I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out, but I don't have the eyes of Jesus to look into your heart. 
But if you say, Pastor Johnny, just now when you prayed, I've been needing to surrender my life to Jesus. And I just prayed with you. And I meant it with all my heart. Today, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Would you do something? I'll be leaving here tomorrow. It sure would serve as an encouragement to me. I've been praying for this service. Others are praying. And you just simply say, I prayed with you and I gave my life to Jesus. Now remember, this is a big room. Balcony, several sections downstairs. If you prayed with me, will you lift your hand high and hold it there for a moment? Do it. Just slip it up right now. God bless you. God bless you there. God bless you. 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 Good night. In the balcony, up in the balcony, anyone in the balcony, lift your hands. My, all my attention was downstairs. They were, I'll be honest with you, there were really more hands than I even acknowledged. And you're just saying today, I'm sorry, oh, I see one in the balcony. God bless you, sir. And another in the balcony. God bless you. Anyone else, last time I asked, I prayed with you today. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. God bless you, sir. wonder if any of you would say, Pastor Johnny, I'm a Christian. But I want God to infuse me with Holy Spirit boldness. And here's a good way to say it. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. They may already be on your heart right now. Some man, some woman that you know needs Jesus. And you may be the closest connection to help them go to heaven one day by sharing the good news with them. How many of you say, pray for me? I know someone that's lost. I need to witness to him. Let me see your hands. Boy, before I even could finish, so many hands. I mean, really, there's dozens of hands up. Downstairs, upstairs. Boy, if we could just pray, God, did you know at the end of every hand that was just raised, there is a life, a life that will either spend it with the Lord or away from the Lord. And a lot of it's predicated on God using us. He's given us the Great Commission. Some of you are visiting, and, and, and you feel this ought to be home. Uh, God's using pastor here to minister to you. You love the music, your small group. But you've never really joined to, to identify with them. Two things happened when you got saved. God became your father, and other Christians became your family. And, and you just want to come in, identify with this family, and serve the Lord through this church, whatever time you have left. There, there's a class they're going to point you to in your decisions to help you to make the right steps. And so I'm going to encourage you to come. Some of you, God's dealing with you, and you don't even remember the last time you responded to him. And I'm going to encourage you, if God's speaking to you, to respond and come. So let's stand for prayer all over the building as we prepare to sing. Just stand up with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus... Have your will and way in our life. Lord, for the many this morning that prayed to receive Christ. God, you tell us where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. I pray you give them freedom to slip out and to say to one of these pastors, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And Lord, so many that have someone on their heart, maybe they find themselves in the altar because it's in the altar that you alter us. And, and just 
committing that person to Jesus and, and making a commitment to the Lord to be faithful to the assignment, even as Philip was faithful to his. And those that need to join, Lord, just speak into their life. I just pray that God would have his way in each of our lives. Those you're speaking to, help them to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.